that saving blood that was shed for me. There's none, nothing like our Lord. In times of trouble, we can always depend on a gracious and giving God. I would like to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. That's 1 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And if you found the sacred scripture, would you please acknowledge it by saying, Lamb of God, crucified for my sins, he bled and died. Amen. We ask that you would stand for the reading of God's inerrant, infallible word. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the very meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, for you are my Lord and my Redeemer. How precious is the, is the blood of your Son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. During this Thanksgiving weekend, we've decided to take a bit of a break from our normal study which is journaling through the book of John, verse by verse. So what we're doing here, we're looking at the three commandments that are in Paul's practical message to the Thessalonians. And we see that there are three godly commands here, that there are three gracious promises, and there are three great phrases and one of those great phrases is found at the first verse, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, that says, rejoice always. Now, just two words in the Greek is one of the shortest Bible verses, but it has a far-reaching command. And then we see in verse 17, another command, pray without ceasing. And then, lastly, in verse 19, give thanks in all circumstances. You think about it, these three commands are coupled with the rest of verse 18, which says we must rejoice always, we must pray without ceasing, we must give thanks in all circumstances simply because this is the will of God for us in Christ Jesus. Whether we recognize it or not, brothers and sisters, as Christians, we have a duty, a requirement to rejoice. As Christians, we have a duty, a requirement to pray without ceasing, to pray until something breaks. 
We have a duty to give thanks in all circumstances because if we really believe in this God that we're worshiping and that we're singing to, then we know we wouldn't be in the circumstance that we're in that if he didn't want us there. So we rejoice. We pray without ceasing. We give thanks knowing that he's going to lead us through because we serve a God that sits high and looks low. His eyes are ever upon us. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. The Lord is angry with the wicked and with the unrighteous every day, but he keeps a covenant and a steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. There's a responsibility here that we're all bound to in the form of these three commands. In fact, we recognize, as the Bible teaches us, that people who don't rejoice God or don't rejoice always are people who have no love for God. These people are described really in Romans 1.21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him because in their futile, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were what? Darkened. This is one of the basic characteristics of an unregenerate person, that darkened heart, that failure to acknowledge and to be thankful to God even when that person has been blessed by God. Kind of reminds me of what happens in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And he entered a village. He was met by ten lepers who stood at a difference, at a distance, and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. You see, there were 10, but only 10 that were healed, only one that returned. See, 10 of them received a physical healing, but one of them received a physical and a spiritual healing. They went from unregenerated to regenerated. It's important that we rejoice always and that we pray without ceasing and in everything we give thanks, whether we're in the midst of the valley or we're on the mountain of victory. Now, in the Old Testament, we had a sacrificial system. They used sin offerings, and they were designed to bring the people a constant reminder of their sinfulness. It made them think about their ongoing need for atonement. Their ongoing need for righteousness. 
And they did it all through the year because they knew how desperately they need to be made fully righteous and completely sinless. They were giving thanks over and over, whether they're in the valley or if they were having a mountaintop experience. And we need to think about our lives today. Have we ever spent any time in the valley? Have we ever felt down, alone, defeated, discouraged, dismayed, and disappointed? You know, Paul gives us an incredible example of this in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 18. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. He talks about jars of clay here because that's all we are. God picked up dust, blew into it, and man became a living soul. And he talks about the treasure within these jars of clay. The treasure is that gospel that we have recognized and have faith in. And then he tells us, we do this to show that the power that keeps us going is not from us, but from God. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies so that the life of Jesus is shown to everyone who, see, who sees us go through these challenges and we go through those challenges in a way that honors God. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he personal pronoun referring to God, knowing that God who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us uh, with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that grace extends more and more and people uh, it may increase in thanksgiving to those who see it, to the glory of God. So when we live our lives in front of unbelievers, in front of weaker Christians, and we continue to go through, even though it's hard for us to go on, they they need to recognize and attribute that ability to a sovereign God. Not that we're special, but we serve a God that is what? Sovereign. Look what he says here lastly. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you look in the mirror every morning and you see just a little change or just a little older? Skin's not as perky as it used to be. You know, we're, this body is wasting away because it does. 
until we get that renewed body. But our inner body, our inner self should be building up and being renewed day by day. And then Paul makes this statement for this, and he's talking about life, whether you live from nine years old, from infancy to nine years old, or from infancy to 90 years old, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we see things that are unseen, or rather the things that we see and the things that are unseen, and we recognize that those things are transient. The things we see are transient. They're going away. They're being rolled up like a scroll. But yet, the things we don't see are eternal. And that is what the Lord is building us up on the inside, day in and day out. This life is just a momentary affliction, but we have eternal life that has so much more to offer us. So if we recognize that and we can bring that power into our lives because through belief, then we can go from the valley to victory day in and day out because we know we can rejoice always. And if we can rejoice always, then we should be also able to pray without ceasing. So rejoicing always gives us the ability to pray without ceasing. Look what Paul says here. This can be confusing if we look at it from the wrong perspective. This doesn't mean that we go around all day with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, but you can be in a posture of prayer sitting right here in the sanctuary. You can be in a posture of prayer in your home. You can be in a posture of prayer as you drive your car to work. It's an attitude. It's having a God consciousness about yourself. It's having a God, it's surrendering to God that we carry him with us wherever we go because we have the Holy Spirit. When our thoughts, and they're going to, turn to worry, when our thoughts turn to fear, when our thoughts turn to discouragement, anger, instead of quickly responding, we should only respond in prayer and giving thanksgiving. We shouldn't be anxious about anything. What does Philippians tell us? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. Because God can be trusted in every situation. We are Christians. We should pray as easily as we breathe. Lack of prayer shows that we have a lack of dependence upon God. You know, if you think about it, you don't think about breathing. You just breathe. Because the atmosphere around you exerts pressure on your lungs and essentially forces you to breathe. That's why it's really harder for you to hold your breath than it is to breathe. Similarly, if we're in the family of God and we enter that spiritual atmosphere, where God's pressure, where God's presence and his grace exerts pressure and influence upon our lives, then we should respond by praying. 
that we should adopt the very breath of prayer. And we shouldn't be Christians that are known for holding our spiritual breath, thinking that little brief moments of prayer are sufficient to allow us to survive. We want to be fully oxygenated. We want to be fully able uh, to breathe of the very Spirit of God into our souls day in and day out. And we do it without ceasing. That means we never stop. In the moment where uh, challenges become overwhelming, we still pray. When we're desperate on how we need to move forward with what God is asking us to do, we still pray. We pray, we pray, we pray. Because God is faithful. 2 Timothy 2, 12 through 13 says this, If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Just think about that for a moment. If we are faithless, he remains faithful to us because we are part of him. He cannot deny himself. So we pray. That means we lead a life that's regimented. We lead a life that relentlessly needs prayer. We lead a life that the only way to refresh it sometimes is through prayer. Even when we're being greatly challenged, we still pray because it's what we believe that we can get a prayer through and we pray until something breaks. I don't know if you remember the book of Acts. We got Paul and Silas that are doing their evangelistic work. This is around chapter 16, 25 through 34. And they've been preaching in the marketplace. So they're arrested. They're beaten. They are dragged to jail. They're not walked to jail. They're dragged to jail. They're thrown into jail. And the jailer said, don't you, when you get out of here, don't you go and preach about this Jesus. Now, you've already beaten me. You've drugged me all the way through that everyone's seen how I'm being treated. You've thrown me in a jail cell. In fact, it was the inner cell. It was the hardest one to escape from. And what is the first thing Paul and Silas do? They have a prayer meeting. Look at this. Acts 16, 25, 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately the doors were open. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors would open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. We understand Roman law was if you ever lost your prisoner, that you would serve the sentence of the prisoner you lost. So if your prisoner had a death sentence, then you would have to die. 
So here, since the whole prison has been let out, not just Paul and Silas, this brother is pretty much aware that his days are numbered, so he decides that he's going to take his own life. But look what happens in 28. But Paul cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what, may, what must I do to be saved? He is so overwhelmed that they put their life before his life when he would have never put his life before their life. That he saved, they saved his life by saying, we're all here. No need to do that to yourself. And he, wants to, he, he immediately wants to know, how do you get to the place that you are willing to sacrifice your life for another? And he just plainly asks him, what must I do to be saved? 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your whole household. And they spoke the word to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up to the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his whole entire household that they had believed in God. You just pray until something breaks. You pray without ceasing. You know that God has a way out for you. And you are just seeking his counsel, uh, building up your ability to persevere, trusting him in all things. And then you see him do the miraculous. Even Jesus shows us something in Matthew 11, 26 through 27. When he says, yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal himself. The moment that we accept Jesus Christ in faith, is well-pleasing to God the Father, and he allows him to reveal who he is to us. Even when we look at John 17, you know, the tone there is a tone of sorrow, but yet always a tone of trust. He's accomplished everything that his Father sent him to do, and he's willing uh, to go back to the Father knowing that he did not lose one. It's important for us to recognize that prayer does not change the heart of God. Prayer changes our hearts about what God is asking us to do. Prayer changes situations or prayer changes how we're going to deal with those situations. 
The situation may never change, but if our mind, our attitude changes toward the situation, that may just be enough to get us through the situation. Lastly, we recognize that we are to rejoice always, we are to pray without ceasing, and then we are to give thanks in all circumstances because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. Look at verse 18. He says, in everything. That's a broad statement. That's a statement that has no limits, has no confines. That includes everything but sin that we should give thanks for. We should never have an attitude of ingratitude. We should never be a thankless uh, Christian. That's only for people who are outside of the kingdom. Look at what 2 Timothy says about uh, Christians outside, or people outside of the kingdom. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. But understand this. That in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. I think we're here. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying his power. And then what's the instruction? Avoid such people. He's telling them that there's a liturgy here. There's a, there is characteristics here that are going to show you clearly that this is an unsaved, unsavory person who goes through life complaining, who goes through life bitter and angry. Uh, their life moves along a path of trying to manipulate the world to satisfy themselves. And when they can't get what they want, then they're entrenched in bitterness and disappointment, which causes sadness. They think everything is uh, predicated upon good luck. And you have to correct them, no, everything is predicated upon the blessing that comes from God, that comes down from above. They can't rejoice because they don't know the truth about God, that he has a plan for us. They don't understand that Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and those who are called according to his purpose. We can be thankful in everything because if we are thankful in everything, as Paul says, there is nothing outside everything. It's all inclusive. And the Lord will take away that which will not bless us. Yeah, there'll be things in our life that are challenging, even to the point that we feel they're damaging but even when God has to renovate our lives so that he can construct us anew. Just wait a minute. Just trust him. Just continue to rejoice and pray without ceasing and watch him work everything for our good. 
Watch him take ashes and make them into beauty. As we recognize that we live day by day on the grace of God, that this body is not our own, and that if we are willing to surrender it to him, then he is willing to make it operate the way it needs to operate for us that his good pleasure is fulfilled. It really doesn't make any difference whether we're having a good day or we feel well or... No, what it makes a difference is, am I available to you? Am I willing in my weakness as just a jar of clay, willing to do what you are asking me? Will you not strengthen me as I do what you're asking me? If I belong to you, if it's your will, if this is what's going to bring you glory and pressure, will you not do it? Can I not trust that? Do I then run away from those times that I felt inadequate? You know, sometimes the best service you can give the Lord is when you're inadequate. Because all he needs is, is for you to allow him to work through you. You just need to be there. You don't bring anything to the table. That was something last week I read with uh, Jonathan Edwards and was speaking about salvation. And Jonathan Edwards says, when it comes to salvation, we bring nothing to the table except the sin that necessitates our salvation. That's all we bring. We bring the sin that makes us sinners so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be able to rejoice always, that we might be able to pray without ceasing, that we might be able to give thanks to God in all things because it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, as you were, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase. The harvest of your righteousness, you will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Here's the promise. He, personal pronoun, refers to God. He who supplies the seed to the sower that gives bread for food will multiply. Supply and multiply your seed that you can, sow, you can sow more and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The same God that causes that crop to grow the same God produces a seed. The same God gives you more seed that can be planted, that more crops can grow. The same God takes care of the food supply and takes care of the righteous, 
the supply of righteousness in your life, the same God multiplies that you might increase your harvest of righteousness. He enriches you in every way, giving you all that you need. And he's going to give it to you that you might be as liberal as he is in giving it to you. He will dispense spiritual blessings to you and through you because you are a good conduit. You can be trusted. And why does he do it? Because he's a good and gracious God that seeks to see all those who are willing to come to him, son, his son to make it. To finally understand the call that is on their life. To understand the duty that they have to rejoice always, the duty that they have to join in with the body of Christ and to pray without ceasing, the duty they have to give thanks so that an unbelieving world can see this is a way you live life even in the midst of turmoil. That you can trust God to be faithful, but it requires our complete buy-in. That means Thanksgiving is not just a holiday. It's every day. It's every day that we get another, we wake up and we don't see silk in our eyes. We got another chance to keep doing this. Another chance to please him. Another chance to win over that incredible relative or that person on our job who doesn't see the light of Christ Jesus. You know, I was so impressed. We had two funerals at a funeral here yesterday and Royce's father passed and they had a funeral at the Greater Gethsemane. Here's a man that was in one church for 40 years. You could not get anywhere near that building. Yes, I thought I had to be airlifted to get anywhere near that building. What, what a legacy that that says about Thomas Gunn. That he was there for 40 years to be part of that body, to see it grow, to see it reach its potential. And all those relationships that every one of those cars represented. The flowers and the letters. Because they knew what type of man he was. Never met Mr. Gunn. But I would think he was someone that rejoiced always. Someone who prayed without ceasing. And someone who gave thanks. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just bless you. We thank you for our time together. We just ask that you bless our time together with our families. <coughs> that you give us opportunity to Build us up on every leaning side. 
that we might be able to give you glory as we represent you over the holidays. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. And all God's children say, Amen.